morning, church. I'm always so blessed just to see how the family of God, how his body functions, how many people can come and, and lead worship um, is just such a blessing. Uh, yesterday, it was one of my friend's birthdays, and, and I called her. She didn't pick up, and I sang a little bit of happy birthday to her. And when she called me back, she let me know that give her a different gift next time. <laughs> I'm not one to uh, watch a lot of movies. And when I do watch movies, um, often, uh, as time goes on, I don't remember the movie. But there are certain movies that um, certain parts of it would be etched in my mind. And there was a movie that I saw, um, has to be 20 years now, called We Were Soldiers. And the movie really impacted me because it was different than a lot of war movies. It was different in that uh, it kept uh, oscillating back and forth between the battlefield and what was going on at home as people died on the battlefield and their family was receiving the information. But uh, the biggest part of the movie that impacted me was um, the person who were going to lead these young men into battle uh, was there uh, at their graduation from boot camp, and he said uh, to them in the graduation, um, I can't promise that I'm going to bring you all home alive, but I do promise to bring you all home. And he went on to say, um, I will be the first person on the battlefield and the last person off the battlefield. And when they flew to that part of the earth and the helicopter was about a foot off the ground, he jumps onto the ground, uh, keeping his promise to be the first person on the battlefield. And during the movie... These uh, soldiers were there, and a scout from uh, the opposing army uh, was seen. And some of those men went and, and chased after the scout and got separated from the other soldiers. And uh, many of them, because of that separation, died, and they fought to gain back those that were alive. And at the end of the movie, after many deaths, uh, you see that same commander being the last person to get on that helicopter out of there. And um, it was really uh, impactful. And he didn't bring them all home alive, but he brought them all home. Um, and it's just... Uh, to speak of what unity is really all about. Our text this morning is in Colossians chapter 3. I'll be reading out of the CSB this morning, and um, I'll be reading starting at verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? 
Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if any one has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have unity because we are your children. We are in one family. That's only the case because of how much you love us. And we've just sang how God is love. So we ask, Father, that you would keep us on mission, as a family, about the family's business, which is of top priority in this world. It's the souls of men and women that you've called us to be co-laborers. Oh, what a task. But what a commander we have. You are God king of the universe. So as we come Sunday by Sunday, continue to strengthen us, reminding us of who you are and who we are in you, Lord. We come to you this day, not only to receive marching orders, to get our ration, but for you to continue to strengthen us by your word and by the power of your spirit. Would you do that this day, Lord? And we thank you because you always give good gifts to your children. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Intimacy um, is what starts unity. I, I cannot be unified with someone that I don't know. We can't have unity with God. We can't have intimacy with God without repentance. That, that's what starts our relationship with God. Uh, one of the things that we uh, know is that sometimes we have a false sense of our true condition. But before we repented, we thought that we were fine. 
We thought we were fine with God. We thought that God was going to accept us on our terms. Everyone has met uh, someone who is so far out of touch with reality that when they speak, you're like, is this person on earth? Like, where are you? And, and, and in a real sense, that was us. Uh, we were out of touch with reality, the, the reality of our condition before repentance. But since repentance, we are unified with God. We have an intimate relationship with God. What is the distance? What causes that distance between God and man? That distance is caused by sin. The thing is, once we repent and we are no longer called sinners and we are God's children, we still sin. And, and that's important for us to remember because it, it begs the, quest, the question, should repentance be part of the Christian life? And if so, to what extent? Well, we sin daily. And because we sin daily, then we are to repent daily. We, even as believers, as his children, have to recognize our condition and the things that we have done. Uh, how often have people violated you, and, and then it seems that they are either unaware of the violation, or they put a positive spin on it. They, they find a way to justify uh, what they've done and never come to terms with, I've been offended. I've been hurt. What you've done is wrong. Well, we may be right in thinking that or wrong, but when it comes to God, when we offend him, when we go against him on a daily basis, whether it's through thought or action or attitude, we are to repent. Because we want that intimacy with him, we want that unity with him to stay close. We don't want anything to separate us from our intimacy with God. We are and must admit that we are needy people who must repent often and then rely on the grace and mercy of God. That's important to set the stage because once we have unity with God, then we can have true unity with each other. Well, why do I say this? Um, well, what happened with humanity when unity was broken with God? When unity was broken with God, when sin broke fellowship. Well, from the beginning, from the garden, there was a separation with God. And, and the first thing that you see is there was a separation in relationship, in hu human relationship with a man and his wife. 
Uh, Before that even happened, there was sin in heaven and there was a division in heaven. And it started with a move away from a common goal. It started with a move away from a common goal. The goal in heaven was to glorify God. That was the goal. The, The devil changed his motivation, his goal to glorify himself. And, and, and then in the garden, he prompted Eve to glorify herself. And, and then you see the blame game between Adam and Eve. So when I say that for us to have true unity, you first have to have unity with God. The enemy has an objective, and his objective is to divide. We have all heard the term divide and conquer. So even when I was speaking about that movie, the reason why they found themselves in a hard situation was because they were in separate places. There was a division. Division occurs for many reasons. And in many ways, Um, it happens when we don't have the same goal in mind. Even within ourselves, there can be division. What happens when you have a divided heart? You, you, You want to do this, but you end up doing that. So even within self, there can be division. We've seen division in marriages where the two who are supposed to be one are not acting as one. We see divisions in family. We see divisions in the nation. We see divisions even in the church. It it is often, it happens often when people are sometimes not willing to do their part. Um, sometimes they're not willing to play their role, uh, a lack of contentment, a contentment, a lack of commitment. It starts when people sometimes don't want to start from the bottom, right? Self-promotion. Well, these are all ways that division creeps in, and it causes disunity. Why are we often not united, specifically those in this country, is because we have a mindset of being independent. It is, it is our I, identity, and often we put our identity in everything else but Christ. Our identity uh, in things that will divide. Race, gender, economics, education, politics, worldview, culture, age. Like young people don't want to hang out with old people. I'm not dying my beard. Half of y'all put grays in it. If we're going to to use those kind of categories, 
Guess what? Um, no one is like you. You're unique. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. In all of creation, no one is like you. So there's other things that should hold us together. Colossians 3.11, right before we started reading, says, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. All of us that are his children, that should be the thing that keeps us together. So the text we read started with, therefore, as God's chosen ones, as God's children, as those that were adopted, holy and dearly loved. You know, adoption is very, very special. I remember when Jesse said, I'm pregnant. I'm like, oh? And I remember when Jesse said, I'm pregnant again. And I was like, oh? But adoption is different. That, that person just doesn't come along. There's no surprise in that. There is an effort that I will go to the other side of the world to meet you where you are. Being adopted, you are, you are sought out. We're adopted. You were chosen. You are, you are holy. Because God has placed his spirit in you, you were poured into. He calls you dearly loved. This is a deep affection. He loves the world, but, but not the way he loves his children that are chosen. Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 4, says this, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. He says you're holy. That means you're, you're different. That means you're set apart, sanctified for his purposes. You're not ordinary. You're not regular. God has changed you and placed his spirit in you. Don't, don't treat that as if it's common. You are 
daily love. The beloved of God. A chosen one. And because of that, these are your royal garments. Be dressed for the position you hold. Just to give an illustration. Don't wear pajamas and flip-flops next week to the 25th anniversary. Dress to impress for the dinner. You are in the family of LWC. This is an event. This is an occasion. How much more your royal garments as chosen ones, as God's children, as those adopted into his family. Because this is your privileged position. Wear it like a garment. Because of the inner work that he did, this must be on display. Put on, wear, light clothes, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But unlike clothes, the Christian Character is, is not only outside of a person. And unlike clothes, Christian character cannot be separated from a person. By character, a person is, is known. By character, a person is recognized. When you're out there in the world, are you wearing these clothes that we just spoke about, or are you wearing flip-flops and pajamas to a banquet? So, so, so just as much, if you come next week with pajamas and flip-flops on, and you stand out in a certain way, and we're looking at you like, you're not dressed for the occasion. As a Christian, in the world, in the church, in your household, are you wearing compassion? Are you putting on kindness and humility and gentleness and patience? I, I had to approach someone uh, recently. Although he's six months old, He had on a onesies pajama at church. I didn't want him to set a trend. I'm not going to say his name. But I went to him and I said, listen, man, you're cute and everything, but you need to wear appropriate attire. His parents looked at me sideways, but I remember when they were little kids. Uh, again, I won't say his name. Colossians chapter 3 starts out this way. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, 
Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you did, for you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now, but now, but now, is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. See, when you were in the world, it looked like something. You were wearing something. Now you're wearing something different. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Verse 13 says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Another translation says, make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive one another who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Make allowance for each other's faults. Well, why is that hard? It's hard because sometimes the faults of others, when they come into your life, cause you pain. And, and, and we're called to work through that and forgive. Think it wasn't painful for Jesus to come into his creation and be treated the way he was treated? And yet, said, Father, forgive them. And that's what he's telling us to do. Through the pain, the disappointment, and the hurt. You know, because this year of unity is what it is, there are people in my life that have caused me pain that I've already determined I can't sit here and talk about unity this year and not address those people. Like, I can't. And some of that is deep pain and legitimate and for decades. We got to deal with that. We got to do what the scripture says. 
You're empowered to do what the Scripture says because you have the Spirit of God in you. Because you were forgiven much greater things than you have been offended by others with. It says, above all, put on, clothe yourself, wear love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So it's not only what you take off, but it's also what you put on. I read something that says we are called to peace with God as a privilege and peace with our brothers and sisters as a duty. It is a privilege that we have peace with God. And because of that, we have a duty to have peace with others. A duty means an obligation, something that we're mandated to do. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called, in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. You, you will notice in this text a couple of times it's going to say, have gratitude, be thankful. That is the motivation of why we do what we do. Sometimes to just say thank, thank you is not enough, right? Like if you buy me something and I say thank you and I never use it and I put it up on the shelf, like I don't appreciate what you've given me. You've been adopted. You're in the beloved. You have the Spirit of God. You're to put it to use. It's to be on display. It is something that we wear. As members of one body, we have been called to live in peace, keeping the bonds of unity through love. With God's children, the church, there should be a closeness. There should be a trust. There should be a dependency and a dependability. There should be a common goal. There should be a building up of one another so that we can witness to the world. And one of the witnesses to the world is showing the unity that we have in love as brothers and sisters. Verse 15 turns it from speaking about character to conduct. What's on the inside always shows up on the outside. Who we are comes out in our actions, always. You could say you're whatever. What you do is going to display what you really are. We, we can say that we're doing things like in a conceptual way, right? No, no, I'm compassionate, I'm, I'm kind, I'm, I'm humble, I, I'm gentle and patient. First off, none of us are all of those things always. And, and, and often when we use those things, sometimes we use it in a certain way. I'm going to be nice right now because I need this. But that's not the same thing. 
The text says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God, again, with gratitude in your hearts. The, the word must dwell richly in you. It's got to stay there. It needs to live there. It's not something that just passes through. If the only spiritual nourishment you get is on Sunday, I know you're in misery. You cannot have the joy of the Lord. You cannot have peace. And all you do is like once a week for uh, 45 minutes get a shot and half the time you dozing off or thinking about what you're going to do after. It's not going to work. This world is bombarding us all day long, every day. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through songs. I'm going to call that person back, and I'm going to sing them a spiritual hymn instead of happy birthday. I want to see what she has to say then. <laughs> you on the worship team. <laughs> Admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. For starters, Hear this, the only way the fellowship of the saints will accomplish what verse 16 says is if the word is coming from the pulpit. People go to a lot of different churches for a lot of different reasons. If the message from the pulpit is not saturated, with the word of God. If that's not happening at the base level in the church, where do we make a priority of letting the word of Christ dwell richly among you? Where are you learning all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? If you don't expect that from the preacher, you're going to do that in the lodge or, or on the phone? If that is not the basis of why you choose a church, the reason is wrong. Period. That has to be the first thing of where I choose to worship is the Word of God rich in that place. That does not mean you're going to agree with every single determination that the preacher comes to. But is it saturated with the Word or with their thoughts, psychology, current events, what you feel?
What will be the bonds that hold you together in unity? Activity? Hanging out? To what end? The bonds must be love, and that's demonstrated through the word of Christ dwelling richly. I ask you a question. Are you, are you standing alone? You know, one of the thoughts that we have about security, about safety, is keeping ourselves in isolation from others. Keeping the world out. Keeping our doors locked. Not letting anyone in. That that's, that's a security effort that we're making. No, no. I'll stay a certain distance. I'll stay isolated. Even when I'm there, like, I'll glean a little bit, but I'm not letting anyone in. And I really don't care what you're going through either. I'll be nice. Speak some niceties, a little bit of Christian lingo. It's not unity. Keeping the bonds of unity between God's church, his children. Trusting each other. Being vulnerable with each other. Having a common goal, building each other up to witness to the world. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We can be united because we have one thing in common. We are the redeemed. You, you, I need you to understand what we're saying. We are those that can see. We are those that can see. And since we can see, we can understand the importance of eternity for the souls of others. Jesus said to the Pharisees, oh no, you know why you got a problem? Because you claim that you can see. If we are those that can see, question is then what do we do with that? Look outside of your doors at, at those things that you're trying to protect your household from? No. But to go out there. We are to present the gospel that, that the gospel would affect those around us. We can see we were blind. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. 
and we can see, and others can't. I watched a meme one day, and it was a blind person, and they were walking with their um, stick. And they were swinging it a little wide. And the person said, listen, we need to learn how to um, have proper blind people stick etiquette, whatever you call that. Like, are we asking the world that's blind to have proper stick etiquette? As a blind person, stay blind. Don't swing your stick willy-nilly and maybe you're going to hit me in my ankle. What you do in your blindness is going to affect me. Wow. No, we are those that can see. And we have the words of life and the Spirit of God in us. Then, then, then we are to go to those that are blind. Present the gospel, the love of Christ. Us being unified in one accord with one mission about God's business, caring for the lost, caring for the blind. That they be able to lay down that stick and be called one that can see as well. What is... What is it to, to love? It's to be willing to live for others and to possibly even die. There's two days I was listening to a sermon by Paul Washer, and when he said this, I'm like, but of course. But he put it so succinctly. He said, there are two days that must control our lives. The date that Christ hung on the cross. And the date that we will stand before Christ. Those two days should be the motivation for every single thing in our life. You know what we're motivated by? Those things that we focus on. What are you focused on? What's taking up your time? What do you care about? What are you building? Is it going to stand? Is it going to matter? going to matter? If it's not the things of God, it's not going to matter. It's going to fall. It has nothing to do with the day that Christ hung on the cross, and it will have nothing to do when you stand before him. Family, 
We need each other. We need to stay united. We need to recognize the things that divide. We need to stop thinking so independently and just about me and about what we're called to and how desperately we need him and how we cannot accomplish this without one another. Would you stand, family? I just want Sailor to sing a song. I, I just want us to take a minute and contemplate what we're speaking about here. The altars are open. If you want to come forward, if you want to kneel, let's just consider the impact of what God has done in us, what he has done for us, and what he is calling us to.